Thank you. You may be seated. It's a joy to be with you here uh, for your chapel service. Just a couple weeks of school left, and I'm sure there's some excited seniors. And uh, we appreciate the West Coast Baptist College. I have uh, nine at this time, nine uh, graduates that are a part of our staff, and uh, two uh, others coming to join us this this year, and uh, we are excited about that. I have the privilege of pastoring the church I was saved in, and uh, 43 years ago, uh, trusted Christ as Savior. I grew up a Catholic boy, and uh, got saved through the ministry of the church uh, that I I now pastor. I I think if they would have known I was their future pastor, they might not have led me to Christ, but uh, um, we are uh, thrilled to be, to be with you. Sure want to be a blessing to you uh, today in chapel as we uh, look into the scripture. I want to provoke and challenge your heart. Hey, Josh, good to see you. And uh, challenge your heart today. And uh, our, our church and uh, my, my preaching, I... I had to ask Dr. Getch, now what time do I, I need to stop? And, and uh, so he gave me the time frame. And then, of course, most, as most gracious hosts do, they say, well, you know, you be sensitive to the Lord's leading. And uh, um, they, they don't understand. I, I don't stop. So I, I need a, a runway. And I was preaching back home uh, some time ago, and uh, there was a lady visiting the church, and about halfway through my message, um, she shouted out, preach on, Pharaoh. And, uh, and I thought, and at first I, I said, what, what did she say? Preach on, Pharaoh. I, I said, I think that's what she said. And sure enough, a few minutes later, again, she shouts out, preach on, Pharaoh. And so I, I finished my message that day, and, and uh, through the message she had shouted that out a few more times. And so I was standing by the door as, as the folks were leaving that day, and she came along, and I said, excuse me, ma'am, it was great having you here today, but I, I've got to ask. I've heard amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, but never preach on Pharaoh. What is that all about? She said, you won't let God's people go. And, uh, and so... I, there's, there's way too much truth to that, and uh, I really do. I, I have prayed, and, and I know you sit in chapel service after chapel service, as I did back in Bible college, and uh, I'm, I'm praying that God would provoke us today. We're going to begin in Psalm chapter number 4. Psalm chapter number 4. I will encourage you to turn to a number of passages. Some passages I'm going to just uh, read and just because of, of time. But in Psalm chapter number four and verse four, it says, stand in awe. Stand in awe and sin not, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. 
several chapters later in Psalm 33, and the eighth verse, it states, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And then over in Psalm 139, and actually the first six verses there jump out at me as we see the heart cry out. It says, O Lord, thou searchest me and known me. Thou hast searched me, excuse me, and known me. Thou understandest my down-sitting and uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. And here, as, as it's shared in Psalm 139, the heart is crying out and uh, overwhelmed by the goodness of God, overwhelmed by the presence of God, overwhelmed by the, 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 the activity of God in one's life. Verse number six says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. And I'm wondering today, I wonder if we've lost the awe. I know we have young people here from many different types of backgrounds, first generation Christians, others who have grown up in the church and Bible preaching is nothing new to you, but do we have an awe, an awe of God? God has put in each of us a, a desire to seek awe. That's why people travel to the Grand Canyon and stand and look at it in awe. Folks will risk their life to climb Everest for the awe. But I wonder if we have more awe of his creation than we do of the creator. And I'd like us to look together, and I see the verses here, right? Trust in him. I've pastored now at the church. I was assistant pastor for seven years. Never anticipated pastoring. Actually, I was a youth pastor at the church I was saved in after college. Loved it. Wanted to spend the rest of my life as a youth pastor. God began to do a work in my heart. And after seven years, and my pastor resigned. And I surrendered. And now for 31 years, I've been the pastor at Faith Baptist Church. Not only in my heart, but in the heart of the dear people, I have the privilege of, of pastoring. Why is it we struggle so trusting God? Could it be that we have a very low opinion of him? Trust in the Lord. Of course, we see there trust in the Lord. Right? With all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Right? Some trust in chariots and some in horses. 
But it says what? But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Job chapter number 36, verse 26 says, Behold, God is great. We sing songs about it. We sang some amazing hymns today. Lifting up his great name and his majesty and his power. But it has become so routine to us. Behold, God is great. But here's the next statement. And we know him not. I think we can be guilty of knowing about God. I asked my grandson, my, my wife and I have eight children, and uh, just yesterday, our 16th grandchild was born. That's why my wife did not come on this trip with me. She says, I am not leaving when uh, our grandchild is going to be born and another grandson. But one of my other grandsons, I asked him for a baseball card and he gave me Aaron Judge. Anyone know Aaron Judge? All right. So how well do you know Aaron Judge? Right. Numbers of hands went up. We know about Aaron Judge. I haven't jotted down, and of course, in the back of the cards, there's some statistics here. But Aaron Judge is 6'7". He's a big dude. Last year, you might be familiar, he hit 62 home runs. At least when I looked this up, he had 763 hits, but 235 of his hits are home runs. He's quite a player. We can learn and study and familiarize ourselves with the statistics, but do we know him? And you're being taught about God, who he is, but do we know him? You see, there's going to come some times in your life you're going to need more than statistics. You're going to need the reality of a personal relationship. You're going to need the effect of awe in your life. Stand in awe and sin not. To awe is simply to be overwhelmed. To be moved to change. I like this thought when it comes to awe, to shrink. That to see him for who he is. You see, our view of God shapes how we see everything else. Your view of God determines how you see yourself. Our view of God determines how we see the world. Our view of God determines our morality. The principles that we live by. Your view of God will determine and ultimately shape your doctrine. 
Much false doctrine, I believe, goes right back to not believing God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he will do. Stand in awe and sin not. See, we know God is holy. But he says, I am holy. Be ye holy. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's immutable. He's just. He's omnipresent. God is love. What does that mean? Is that just a Another characteristic we know and we're familiar with when it comes to God. God is love. How does that translate to, uh, in regards to my relationship with him? Oh, listen. You are God's world. The Bible teaches us that God is love and we understand his commitment to us. I think we miss the personal application of that. I mentioned I have eight children. I love my kids. I'm working on trying to love my son-in-laws. That's a little tougher. Our 16 grandchildren haven't yet. I just I spoke again to my, my daughter and son-in-law and, and prayed with them this morning. And little Carter is his name. I love my grandkids. Now that's understandable. I don't think anyone here would say, I, I, I doubt that. that. That just, that's not conceivable. I think you could understand how a, a daddy can love his children. How a grandpa, I'm papa. Soon once, once my daughter, who is one of the uh, graduates we're hiring next year, her, her husband is in the Air Force, and he's getting out of the Air Force, and they're coming back, and once they come, all eight of our kids are in our area, in our church, a number of them work, work for me, it's, it's, it's amazing. So it's not difficult for us to comprehend that a daddy would love his children and a grandpa would love his grandkids. Well, as I love each of my children individually, I don't just love the concept of being dad or grandpa. I love Dean Jr. and Andrew and Jessica and Heather and Calvin and Joel and, oh, let's see, I forgot one. Amber. <laughs> and busy. Elizabeth. I love them individually, and they are my world. That's what you are to God. God loves you. You see, it's more than statistics. It's more than God's character traits. It's who he is and how that relates to us. You see, it's, it must become personal. I 
I knew my pastor knew God. He would stand and preach and share illustrations of how God demonstrated again his reality, his power, his presence in his life. And the truth is, we, we have a, a book of examples of God's interaction with his own. You hear the messages. But you see, it has to become yours. I love what it says over in Joshua. Don't turn there, but... You're familiar, the children of Israel stand a second time at the Jordan River. And they're given instructions as they are preparing to pass over. And he says, now listen, I want you to take 12 stones. You're going to pile 12 stones in the middle of the river and another 12 on the, on the banks. And uh, so, so when the, the children and the kids in days to come pass by and they see them and they say, what mean ye by these stones? It'll stand as a testimony of God's deliverance and God's power and God's uh, uh, loving leadership in your lives. But the truth is, and we've heard many of those testimonies preached and taught by people you know and care for, your parents in many cases, but you see, you have to have some Jordan River crossings in your life personally where it's not somebody else's story you're telling. It's your life. I remember hearing my preacher preach, and I said, oh. And at the first time I heard the story about how God supplied and, 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 and did this for them and for his family, and I thought, wow, God is great. And I heard it a second time and a third time, and if you go to a church long enough, you hear the stories over and over again. And it got to come, and it came to the place in my heart, it's like, okay, God answers his prayers. God's real in his life. What about me? My wife and I got married, and just so happened, I married my pastor's youngest daughter. And uh, we started down the, into life together, and God gave us some Jordan Rivers. And we saw God provide. As God provided for Abraham, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That's what God wants to do in your life. Because he doesn't want you and I to live, and I, I love reading and I love hearing of the amazing things God has done, but it's got to become personal. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12 says, for, for the which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, what for I know whom I have believed. You see, I think it's, important for you to know who you believe. If you get the who right, 
you'll get the what right. A lot of college kids graduate and they can, they can put a, a fill out a pretty good doctrinal statement. But do they know the who of the doctrine? The who of the Bible? Personally. Let me give you these few points here as we ask ourselves that question. You know, I've seen in pastoring 31 years in one place, I'm now marrying kids, and I married their parents years ago. And I've seen a lot of people come and go over the years. Seen far too many walk away. not knowing the one that they're walking away from. See, our view of God determines how we value his word. I realize to most of you, you don't know me. I hope you value what I'm saying because I'm striving to preach the truth of the word of God to you. But the truth is many of you don't value the word of God. How will we value the word, the scripture, if we don't value the God of the scripture, his word? When I was in college, my first uh, uh, two years, I had the privilege traveling those summers with Neighborhood Bible Time. And uh, amazing, amazing experience. Changed my life. This was back before your parents, most of your parents weren't married, okay? And uh, come to find out I was doing some numbers, and I said, I'm probably older than most of the kids' parents, let alone, of course, you students. But And I remember traveling. This was before cell phones. If I wanted to call my sweetheart, to call collect. So we would, we would write, and she was much more diligent at writing than I was. But I remember a letter would come. Oh, I cherished it. And I would, I would read that letter multiple times, waiting for the next one to come. Why? Because I valued the writer of the letter. Satan is a blinder. The Bible says over in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, yes, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Why would anybody ever reject the gospel? You have to be blind. You're spiritually blinded. If I, if I was handing out $20 gift cards to your favorite coffee joint, I'd have a line of students 
We, we, we wouldn't turn down a $20 gift card. Who would turn down eternal life in Jesus Christ, our sin debt being paid in full, forgiven forever? Only those who are blinded. But I believe he uses some of his same devices against even those who have received the gospel desiring to blind us, to hinder us from seeing how great and awesome and mighty and powerful and wonderful our God is. Because he knows we will not value the word of a God we don't value. Jeremiah 15, verse 16 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me a joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. 1 John 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous to us. Oh, we love them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then, of course, Psalm 119, there's verse after verse after verse. Here's just a few, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Oh, listen, that book is your friend. Do we value the word of God? We're, we're, we're Bible students. But do we stand in awe of the word of God. Secondly, our view of God determines our view or how we value his calling. Let me just share a thought. As you're training for the ministry, the truth is you're training for life. You're not just training for a job you're going to do. And I think we, we are a bit short-sighted about the call of God. God's call in your life is far more than just a call to what you're going to be hired to do one day. God's call in your life, God's call upon your life, envelops every aspect of who you are. Do you understand? Before anyone who is called to missions, we're, we're called to be his sons and daughters. We're called to walk with him. We're called to have fellowship with him. We're called to know him. We are called to purity. We are called to walk in the Spirit. We are called to influence a world for Christ. 
some here and many of you, most of you will be called to be husbands and wives. To be parents. And I've noticed this. Those who do not take those areas of their life seriously probably will not be doing the job that God's called them to do very long. Far too many pastors that I've known now over these years no longer stand in pulpits because they didn't take their call to walk with God very serious. Their call to purity, their call what, to morality. The Bible tells us that, that we have uh, uh, been, been called to be conformed to the image of his son. But how can I revere the call of God if I don't know him? If I'm not in awe of him. Philippians chapter 3 speaks of the high calling of God. And each and every one of you is called with the high calling of God. And the more we stand and the more overwhelmed we are by who he is, the more overwhelmed, as he says, such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. That God would allow me to be his boy? I'm his son. That God would allow me to be a husband? Sandy and I have been married for 37 years now. Wow. That God would allow me to love and shepherd his church and be a part of loving his sheep. You see, but many have walked away. Believe me, the old enemy will dangle things in front of your face, trying to get us distracted from the eternal things. The truth is, though, if you don't see the call of God on your life as a high calling, You'll walk away. Not only does the, our view of God determine how we view and value his calling, how we view and value his word, how we view God will determine, listen to me now, how vile sin appears. Over in Isaiah chapter number 6. Turn there with me, please, real quick. Isaiah chapter number 6. And it says there in verse 1, a passage that I'm sure you've 
heard over and over again in probably this uh, uh, semester. Uh, you have had it brought to your attention a time or two. But it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And what's the response? And young people, here it is. When we see holy, we will definitely recognize the unholy. Every Christmas, my, my mama buys, buys me, it's just a normal thing, some new white shirts. And, and, you know, I've, I've thought at times, well, you know what? I, I really, I, I think I, I have enough, and, but I'll take those white shirts and I'll hang them up in my closet and I'll see the white shirts I had in my closet that I thought were just fine. They're not looking so good next to that new white shirt. You see, when you see holy, it changes how we see unholy. It seems the attitude often is this. Well, what's so wrong with it? The rules are silly. Oh, it's not about the rules. It's about holy. It's not, it's not the, about the rules. It's about purity. It's not about the rules. It's about being clean. A few years ago, I was going out soul winning on Saturday, and uh, one of the uh, new converts, um, I, I lined up to come with me, and, and uh, I, I didn't have a car for some reason that day, and, uh, and so I, I rode my cycle to church, and I'm not going to go out soul winning with the guy on the back. I don't, I don't ride guys on my cycle, only my wife. And, uh, and we got, so he said, I'll drive. And we got in his car, and in the back seat of his car, it was a graveyard of McDonald's wrappers. I'm, I'm not saying a, a few spattering cups and wrappers. The floor was full and the seat was full. Well, of course, before we went out, so when we zipped through McDonald's and got a egg McMuffin and a, a, a coffee and uh, and so I, I finished my McMuffin and, and the coffee, and I looked over at him, and he, and he just did this. What's he saying? Just throw it in the back. What's another few wrappers amongst all the other trash? And we see the response. When I saw the Lord, holy, 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 his response is, woe is me. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm better than most of the other students around here. Getting away with this and doing this and doing that. God's not comparing you to anybody else. When was the last time you saw your sin as wicked. As dirty. 
as vile. You're not going to get that from looking at the world. The truth is, you're far above their standard. But we don't live by their standard. By the way, we live by God's standard, not man's standard. And you folks that are so focused on, on the rule book, you're going to face and have some serious trouble when you leave here and there's no more rule book. It comes down to you knowing God. Like Joseph, of course, tempted by that woman. And Joseph said, oh, I, I, I would be crazy to sleep with you. I'll lose this good job. I've got a good job. I've got the best job in the land. No. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It sounds like he might have had a high value. He might have had some awe in his life. Holy, holy, holy. It's where Romans chapter number 7 says there that sin by the commandment might become exceeding, exceeding sinful. Now it's easy. We look at other people's sin as exceeding sinful. Especially if they sin against us. That's wicked. Those gossips. Can't believe they went on social media and said that about me. But God wants us to see our sin. And when we see him, when we're in awe of him, when we see him as holy, we see our sin as sinful. But I love it, and I'll just, just mention it there. God's got a remedy for the sin problem in our life. Right then, a seraphim came with that coal and placed it on his lips. He said, I have a remedy. He's a purifier. He's a cleanser. He's not just a forgiver. He wants to clean us up. We see, number four, when we see God for who he is. Actually, let me mention how we view God determines where we seek fulfillment. So where I look for awe determines the direction of my life. It determines whether or not I'm seeking wealth if, if, if wealth and riches, and the truth is, I don't believe for a second that God takes any pleasure in his kids being poor. But you're not going to be happy because you got cash in your pocket. If that, if that was the case, just, you know, down the road over there and Hollywood and over there in, uh, oh, what's that? Uh, 
real fancy Beverly Hills and, and those, some of those areas, they should be the happiest places in the world, should they not? Because they often have everything that the world is chasing after. But it'll determine if I'm seeking wealth, if I'm seeking the praise of man, if I'm seeking power or position. Listen, if, if you're seeking the, the, the title of pastor or assistant pastor, and that's what you think, boy, when I get that, I will have arrived. Yeah, I was, I was a youth pastor for about a week and a half before I walked into my pastor's office and said I quit. I came, I, I wanted to help the young people. The next thing I know, I have, I'm getting criticized. I mean, I, I, I was not even two weeks, two weeks in. What a flop. I walked into my pastor, I said, I, I, I can't do this. He sort of threw his pen down, looked up at me and said, so did you get into it because they called you or because God called you? I didn't even answer the question because I knew what was coming next, so I just turned, walk out, walked out and said, I'm never going to quit. And believe me, some tough times have come, but each of them has been an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power and who he was and how he can use anything. Three years into my pastorate, the church had grown. It, it had tripled in size in three years. We were averaging over 1,000 in Sunday school and, and, and we were seeing 2,000 people baptized a year. I had two assistant pastors rise up against me. And I'm a, I'm a, at this point, I'm a 30-year-old kid Naive. And I had 700, over 750 people walk out. Boy, I'll tell you, God showed himself faithful. How are we going to handle adversity? With a distorted view of God. I want to just do a simple illustration. I, I, I like using illustrations, not just in junior church. I find the adults like them too. And uh, let's see here. Hey, can you come up here? I need you to hold this for me. I, I, they told me that you smoke, so you can... <laughs> you know how to light a lighter? I'm supposed to light. There we go. right out right right here so just a simple simple illustration maybe just a mental picture for you where you put your confidence and where it is that you put your trust and you're looking for your fulfillment is going to determine the direction of your life and if you're looking for riches and wealth job job says this if 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 uh, if i had made gold my hope or had said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. Job's saying there, if, if gold and riches and possessions were my confidence, I never would have made it. But he said, he knoweth the way that I take. It's 
My confidence is in him. I've seen many put their confidence in riches and possessions. And when the fire of God comes, now back home when I did this, I used a big propane torch, but I, I didn't want to blow down, burn down Pastor Chapel's building here. And, uh, but when the fires come, and by the way, they will. They will. When the fire comes, every time I do it, it still scares me. And how many people have we seen that? Their, their lives just boom. If we place our confidence in man and self, thank you. Man, he's, you're good. <laughs> Trust in the Lord. Lean not unto thine own understanding. When we put our trust in man, if Job said, you know what? My friends will get me through. I said, I wouldn't have made it. Because when the fire comes, <laughs> but when we put our trust in God, I mean, we got some substance. Now, this is a water balloon. You, you have some substance to your life. David said, as he repented, empty, a shell of a man, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. When we know him and the power of his resurrection, we believe that God is who he says he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him when the fire comes, and it will. Boom. <laughs> Your life. Put, put the fire out. <laughs> For sake of time, it will not pop. With a large flame, it'll just make the bloom. Because what's inside this balloon is absorbing that heat and when we're full and when we're in awe it'll absorb that's why the Bible says have a seat hey you can you can keep the lighter for later no and uh, thank you buddy let me just close with this it will help you to handle adversity Of course, we see it in the life of David. Where David comes to that Philistine. We see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of them had what? An awe of who their God was. But the Bible says in, jot down Romans chapter number 5, verses 2 through 5, and James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. And in both of those passages and others, we find this statement when it speaks of tribulation and temptation and the fire of life. He says, we glory in tribulation. We count it all joy in James. But then he uses the word knowing this. Knowing this. 
understanding this and him. And when fire and tribulation comes, when we have a view of who he is, but what is it? They that seek me, oh God, I want to know you. God, I want to know who you are. I don't just want to know your stats. I want you to be personal. I want you to be my God. My sustainer. The lover of my soul. I want to see your power in my life. I don't just want to hear about it. I don't just want to believe it exists. I want to know it. Stand in awe. Let's pray.